0: Welcome to Unity of Tucson. Life could be a dream if I could take you up to paradise up above. Life could be a dream if I could take you up to paradise up above. Well, we have a particular uh, notion around what that up above idea means. And I'm going to talk about it and relating it to heaven. Heaven is a state of mind. That's what we teach here in Unity. And um, life can be a dream realized in its expression holy, 100%, right here and right now. If we raise our own thoughts to that paradise up above, the heaven that is our mind. And we have an option to go the other place. No. <laughs> no. And then I was thinking, um, when I was considering the song this morning, also it was written, in, well, it was released in 1954, originally, which was 19 years before I was born. And then I started thinking, <laughs> when I like got to be a teenager, I thought oh, that old music, like that's so old-fashioned, right? Well, I loved it, but it was old-fashioned compared to the, you know, the um, the ultra new wave that I was listening to in the 80s, right? Yeah, I know, like. <laughs> And then I think about the ultra-new wave of the 80s is even older than that now. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So if we're willing to raise our minds, raise our hearts, raise our consciousness to the level of heaven, how do you think life would unfold? How do you think life would unfold? And isn't that what we seek? We come to these spiritual gatherings, we come to spiritual centers in the New Thought Movement seeking the release of all discord. Well that begins first and foremost in mind, by allowing that dream idea to be realized in our experience. We had a great demonstration of this this past week. And I'm so grateful for those of you who were able to be part of the experience, those who showed up in the room during our prayer vigil during the World Day of Prayer that began on Wednesday evening and continued for 24 hours into Thursday. And part of what we did is we, we, we streamed, we projected the live stream from Unity Village right here in the sanctuary, and we held prayer vigil from about 10 a.m. until 5 p.m. on Thursday, and prayer chaplains were coming in and sitting in quiet, silent prayer during that time. And it was really something else. Like you could just feel the energy of this place like lifting up off the ground. This year's theme for the World Day of Prayer was the heart of healing. The heart of healing. And this was the affirmation that, was in, that we were all invited to embody during this time and allow it to continue to inform who we are and the way that we experience this thing called life as we move forward. The affirmation was this. I open my heart to healing in this moment. I open my heart to healing in this moment. Part of the experience as well was a panel discussion on Thursday morning with Reverends Ellen Debenport, Kathleen Beasley, Michael and Anna Shoes. And they had a lot to say. And it was just extraordinary for me to be able to sit and be reminded of the spiritual truths that we teach here. Sometimes the minister needs to hear it too. Some of the things that got brought up, well, first of all, we talked a little bit about unity history because the, the, the foundations of unity, the foundation of the New Thought Movement is healing, a healing consciousness that allows the experience and expression of healing to flow forth. So healing is what we're really all about. We teach almost nothing else other than healing. Now, some people would say it was a faith healing movement, you know, that the real issue was like people would come with with physical ailments and they would address those physical ailments through prayer and that they would be healed in the physical world, right? I mean, that's certainly what happened with Emma Curtis Hopkins, one of our founders. She was diagnosed with chronic tuberculosis at the age of 41, in 1886. And there was no hope. That was the consideration. No, tuberculosis, that's it. We have ways of addressing that now in different modalities. But they basically said, no, that's it. You're done for. She had the experience of listening to a Metaphysician by the name of E. B. Weeks, who was a student of Emma Curtis Hopkins. I'm giving a little bit of your history class to start, Reverend William. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, this is foundational for us, and, and knowing the history is a great way of helping us understand how we got to where we are now. So she listens to a lecture by a gentleman named E. B. Weeks. Now there's a funny thing that's written in the Spirits and Rebellion book, which is the, it, it is the history of new thought in written form. It says that Charles Fillmore, her husband, was not impressed by E.B. Weeks, <laughs> which is funny, given who Charles Fillmore is in light of the whole movement now, too, right? But what she heard in that lecture was foundational to the entire forward momentum of this movement she heard these words, I am a child of God and therefore I do not inherit sickness. I am a child of God and therefore I do not inherit sickness. How are we doing with that? It was a hundred and, like almost, well, was 133 years ago. If I do my math correctly, I'm doing it off the top of my head, I'm probably wrong. I am a child of God, and therefore I do not inherit sickness. I think part of the issue that happens when we have these considerations and we go into and in, try to understand all of this from an intellectual point of view is that we forget that the intellect is not the causative factor. The intellect is not the causative factor. We utilize the intellect to get ourselves to a deeper place, to the quality that exists behind the expression of the intellect. And quality is what we must understand, the quality that underlies those words. I am a child of God, and therefore I do not inherit sickness. What is What comes up for you in feeling around that? Because that feeling is the thing that is driving your experience. And that is a way that we have evolved in the New Thought movement from a movement that says, change your thinking, change your life, moving into change your beliefs, change your life. Well, now I hold firm in my faith that it is change your feeling, change your life, because your feelings are the indicators of the quality of what it is you would like to experience. So, you know, in prayer class, I'm talking a lot about feeling. We had a discussion this past week, and I asked the question, what is God? And even deeper than the answer to that question that we can put into language is, what does it feel like to understand God? What is the quality of that? But we get so lost in language sometimes. And then what happens is we think we speak all the most beautiful flowery words in prayer, but if they don't have a resonant tone and a feeling space, all the flowery words in the action of prayer will do nothing. The power is in the quality of the deeper meaning behind those words. That's what I'm encouraging us all to step into more and more and more in our lives. Part of what happens too is, I call it the secret effect because you know the movie The Secret? I think that movie was really well done in what it offered and also not well done in what it offered. Because here's my, here's, here's my beef with the secret. I don't think it went deep enough. I don't think it went deep enough. It said, oh, if I change my thoughts, I will have a million dollars. No, it's not about just thinking a million dollars and there it is. It's about understanding the truth of your being to such a degree that you don't even need to worry about the what you don't need to worry about what prosperity looks like. It becomes a part of your entire experience. Talked a lot about it last week talking about the ease with which we should approach this philosophy and the way that we should allow this unfold this philosophy to unfold with ease. So, One of the things that we have done is we've gotten ourselves into a defeatist mindset. And here's one of the ways that we sabotage ourselves. If we have the experience of illness or sickness in the physical expression, and I would imagine that probably 99.9% of us in this room have had the experience at some point in their lives of falling ill physically. That's just a, it's a guess. <laughs> just a big assumption. I know what they say about assumptions, it's a big assumption. But what happens is we come into new thought and they're like, oh, my thoughts create my life. I am a child of God and therefore I do not inherit sickness. And then we fall ill. And we start to beat ourselves up. It must be my fault. It must be my fault. We view getting sick as a failure. And so we go into that, for some of us, into that Catholic prayer of confession, mea culpa, mea culpa, literally meaning, it's my fault, I am to blame. And if we were of a particular period, we might take a whip and start whipping ourselves. Mea culpa, mea culpa. Which is a scene that was cut from Sweeney Todd, by the way. I don't know if you—I don't know if you know there's a if you know musical theater at all. If you don't know, that is my original background. (laughs) You can laugh. (laughs) There was a scene where Judge Turpin is peeping through a keyhole, watching Joanna, and he's whipping himself, saying "Mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa," talking about the young ingenue that he is lusting over. It is my fault, I am to blame. What if we got rid of that consciousness entirely? We were released from our conscious ideas entirely that we are at fault, we are to blame for anything in the field of our physical expression and experience. You know how you do that? You deepen into self-perception. I was gonna say self-perfection and that works too. You deepen to self-perfection. That is the key to healing. Because here's the thing, the experience of illness, the the experience of being sick is an effect, and we are not defined by effects. We are not defined by the effects of our lives, but a lot of us let the effects of our lives define us. So deepening into that self-perception The truth of our being, as we teach it, that's that's what we teach here, that the truth of who we are is inherently divine. We are the power. We are the presence. We cannot be separate from the infinite. In the panel discussion on Thursday, one of the ministers uh, offered this quote of Phineas Parkhurst Quimby, who is noted as one of the core foundational explorers. I'm going to call him an explorer of this idea that Our thoughts, beliefs, and feelings create the construct of our lives. And he did not let us off the hook. Because also what happens is in that deflection, we tend to start to go into spiritual bypass. The experiences don't exist if I know who I am. You know what? The experiences do exist. He said this, we must face the facts of the human condition. We must face the facts of the human condition because God is greater than the facts. He's inviting us to not turn a blind eye to the conditions in our lives. They are great indicators of what's happening in our consciousness, in our heart. And as we address what's happening in our consciousness, what's happening in our heart, then we are empowered to do something about it, not by trying to manipulate or coerce the facts, but by delving deep into the truth of our being. We have evolved in this movement the notion of healing, and we've evolved it past the idea of physical cure. And yet, I think we still oftentimes mistake the outcomes of a changed frame of mind in the way that it shows up in our experience as healing itself. So if we look at healing versus cure, if you have a malady, don't you want to be cured of that malady? The way we are cured of the malady is to go into a consciousness of healing. So the question that I ask is, where is the focus in the prayer work that we do when we are looking to address the maladies in our life? Are we focused on trying to fix the thing out there? the physical expression, or are we allowing ourselves to move into the mindset where we embody the qualities of the divine, which is the truth of our being? I think we also need to find a balance between the two. Here's what I mean by that. If we have a malady, don't we want to experience the physical cure? Is there anyone who wouldn't want to experience the physical cure of any malady? I think we, this is, okay, I'm going down a road. I'm just giving you a fair warning. I am going down a road, and some of you are probably going to give some pushback to this. Sometimes the cure does not look like what you think it should look like. We think we know what the cure should look like, but the cure sometimes isn't what we think it should look like. Dr. Ernest Holmes, in his ministry, as the founder of our sister-sibling-brother organization, Religious Science, was called to a hospital. To work with one of the people that were part of his community. This particular person was a celebrity. A celebrity. He, Ernest Holmes' ministry ended up being in uh, Southern California, so he had a lot of celebrities in his uh, in his spiritual community. Among them, Peggy Lee, by the way, which I need to tell Liz Cracchiolo, who's doing her Peggy Lee show next week. Anyway, sorry. I total side note. <laughs> Ernest Holmes told the story, or to Ernest Holmes. Ernest Holmes purportedly went to the hospital to work with a celebrity who was a movie star who was experiencing cancer and goes to the hospital, returns home, and his wife, Ernest Holmes' wife, Hazel, said, well, how did it work out? And Ernest Holmes said, the patient was cured. He died. See it? And the thing is, I feel like People might give some pushback to that because we perceive death as something bad. Not always. Death might be the perfect cure. Because here's the thing the healing consciousness, you, who you are, the individualization in consciousness that is you can never cease to be. So, although that particular individual was done with this physical expression, the truth of being that makes up that person continues infinitely. And I think that's... And now I'm going to throw Charles Fillmore under the bus. <laughs> because Charles Fillmore was convinced that if he had the right frame of mind, that he could live in this physical incarnation eternally. He also shed this mortal expression. Right? And I think where we have come to in the evolution of this thought is... That aspect that is Charles Fillmore has never ceased to be. It always was, it always will be. We have, he was just limited to an idea that it had to be on this plane of action, on this planet, in the universe, at this time. Regeneration does not mean that I maintain my physical expression on this plane of action for eternity. No, it means I know who I am to such a degree that when it is time for me to shed this expression, what is next for me is assured in its fullness because I know who I am. That is tending into the quality, not the outcome of our prayer work. I'm looking to enhance the quality of my individualization as this magnificent, infinite consciousness. Accepting that our innate quality is God. That's who we are. That is our innate quality. We are God essence. We are the life force itself. And when we pray from this consciousness, we can expect more in the experience of our lives. When we pray from this consciousness, we up-level the relative experience to reflect the absolute because they are one and the same. The relative is the absolute at the level of the relative. So what if we up-level our relative thoughts and ideas to a more absolute understanding of the truth of our being. That is an evolution in thought. That plays out in our experience of life so magnificently that we can stand firm and say, I am magnificent and mean it. How many of us are still uncomfortable with saying, I am magnificent? You don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> when I was first invited to exclaim that out loud, it made me really uncomfortable. But now I own it. I own it because I have done the work in mind to own it. And I invite you all to do the work of mind, to do the work of heart, to up-level the relative based on the truth of who you are. You are magnificent. I can never doubt that. When I look at these sea of magnificent faces, when I envision the, the faces that are watching online, when I look at the faces of God... How can I understand anything other than your inherent magnificence? I invite you to begin to truly embody and understand that for yourself. So today's talk is called non mea culpa, which means it is not my fault. I am not to blame. If we limit our definition of self to being aligned with the relative facts, then we will probably look at the relative and say, I am to blame. When we know who we are, there is no no blame because what is there to blame in spiritual mastery, spiritual understanding? An expanded sense of self is a healing consciousness. An expanded sense of self is a healing consciousness consciousness. So our work is to synthesize an understanding of the relative and the absolute. And it's a funny thing that we always go with the absolute as though it's up. (laughs) The relative and the absolute. (laughs) What do we find when we synthesize in understanding the relative and the absolute. Here's what we find. Life could be a dream. <laughs> Life could be a dream. And if you look in the mirror, this, this is the lyric I want you to sing to yourself. If you will tell me that I'm the only one that you love, say it to yourself. Embody that self-love. That's how we realize the dream. (sighs) And affirm the hell out of it, literally. (laughs) I can't take credit for that. I will give credit where credit is due. That is something that Reverend Michael Gott said on that panel discussion on Thursday. Affirm the hell out of it, literally. That's our work, to affirm the consciousness of hell out of our minds entirely. What is left when we affirm the consciousness of hell out of our minds, when we allow that affirmation to crowd out the hell idea, what we are left with is heaven. So what is healing? Healing is revealing the spiritual essence. And through that revelation and acceptance, an experience follows. We define that experience as cure. So non mea culpa. You are not to blame. You are empowered to change the things in your life that have as of yet gone unhealed. So the heart of healing, the heart of healing. I go back to that affirmation i open my heart to healing in this moment what does that really mean i open my heart to the revelation of the heaven that is at the core of all circumstance right in this moment I release ownership of the circumstance and accept my capacity to allow the circumstances to change and align with a new frame of mind. I accept the quality of divinity, the quality of the essence of my being. I invite us all to do the same thing and, in doing so, enjoy the outcome that follows. Peace and blessings. You are magnificent. Thank you. If you are new to our community... (laughs) I give homework every week. I don't grade anyone on it, though. Uh, The homework this week is... uh, And and if you are new to the community, the reason I do this is because it is important that we make practical these spiritual ideas. And this is one of the ways that I encourage the practical application of spirituality. So what I would like us all to do this week is to take each... Day. Take time each day to define the qualities of God. Take time each day to define the qualities of God and then meditate on those qualities being your qualities, my qualities, our qualities. So, for instance, God is creative, therefore I am creative. God is intelligent, therefore I am intelligent. God is kind, therefore I am kind. God is compassionate, therefore I am compassionate. God is magnificent, therefore I am magnificent. So I encourage us all to let those qualities be at the forefront of our self-consideration this week. Those are just a few. I invite you to go on the journey of uncovering the qualities of God that resonate for you.